0: Uh, good, morning. good morning, it's great to be back uh, with you in Moody's and to be able to share from God's Word. Uh, we're going to be reading this morning in Mark chapter 7, so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me please to Mark chapter 7. Mark, Mark chapter 7, we're going to read the whole chapter um, together. Starting at verse 1, there we read the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God to, uh, uh, in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them after he had left the crowd and entered the house his disciples asked him about this parable are you so dull he asked don't you see that nothing that that enters a person from the outside can defile them for it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach and then out of their body in saying this Jesus declared all foods clean Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syria and Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could not hardly talk. They begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about him. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And we trust that God are the blessing to the reading of his word. I love Mark. My favourite gospel writer uh, is Mark because you can just sense the excitement that Mark has when he's writing. I don't know if you've ever been writing when you get excited and you sort of start bouncing up and down on your seat wanting to get it all out. That's what you get the feeling that Mark is doing when he's writing this gospel. He's bouncing in his chair with excitement. And his gospel is, is action-packed. You can tell why so many church plants when they have their first teaching sessions they decide to go through Mark or why Christian Explorer decide to use Mark uh, as the basis for their curriculum. It just doesn't let up. It never stops. It's action packed all the way through. Mark is the Jerry Bruckheimer or the John Woo or the Michael Bay of gospel writing. You know, these big action movie directors. He's always looking for space where he can drop an explosion to make sure that his reader has woken up and is paying attention. That's why Mark chapter 1 to 6 has been so action-packed. It hasn't let up all the way through. Jesus has gone from one miracle to the next. He's going from one place to the other. Um, An assassination plot is presented very early on with a sinister undertone going on through the whole of the gospel as well. Mark has just been dropping bombs and explosions and making this action-packed gospel but what what he hasn't done so far is hasn't really presented any complex theology like John you open up John there we go you're deep into the theology as soon as you as soon as you open up into John chapter one or he hasn't presented a great deal of parables eh, like Luke would have done by this point. Um, And he hasn't gone into great depth over Jesus' teaching, like Matthew has done uh, before his first seven chapters. There's been very little of that. There's been little bits of teaching, little bits of parables, but really just a sprinkling. If it was a a recipe, there would have been a pinch of these things. But now we come to Mark chapter 7, and Mark decides to put some meat on the menu. He's giving his readers something to chew. This is actually quite a complex, quite a difficult chapter that has suddenly just jumped out after what has been um, just the narrative of Jesus' Jesus ministry. So we come to Mark chapter 7, and here we have something to get stuck into, something to start to chew. And Mark sets the scene uh, with these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they've traveled from Jerusalem to come to where Jesus is in Capernaum, which is 90 miles away, to see Jesus they see his disciples eating food after coming from the market without ceremonial washing their hands ceremonial wash ceremonially it's a hard word to say after without ceremonially washing their hands and they attack jesus as a result so this is what happens as we open into mark chapter 7 and there's three things that i want to look at with these uh, pharisees and these teachers of the law the first is their heart in fact that's our focus for the whole of the day their hearts and our hearts the second is their target and the third is their rules first of all their hearts now I don't know about you but I can't think of much that I would walk 90 miles for even if you gave me a horse I can't think of much that I would travel 90 miles on foot or by horse for but that's what these men have done. To put it into context for me, that would be like me leaving my home in Falkirk and walking to Fort William. I'd get to Denny and say, stuff this for a laugh, <laughs> turn back, and I'd be home for lunch. That's what would happen to me. But not these men. They were driven to get to Capernaum. They were driven to get there. They had some motivation to get to Capernaum. But they weren't driven by good intentions. They weren't driven by the, a love of the people that they were, uh, that they were uh, to serve. They were driven there out of hatred. They were driven there by their wicked, evil hearts. They were driven there by a hatred of Jesus. Mark's already told us in chapter 3, these men are plotting to kill Jesus. This is their aim. This is what they want to do. They want to see Jesus no more. They want to get rid of him. And their hearts are driving them towards this goal. They hate him. They have a fear of him. They fear of losing their own identity. They fear of losing their standing in the community to Jesus. And their evil hearts are driving them to target Jesus. And we know Jesus is their target. Because as they get around this this meal and they see his disciples eating, they look to Jesus it's his disciples that are eating without washing their hands it isn't Jesus but rather than question the disciples they go to Jesus and they say why are they doing this they're trying to tarnish his reputation by association these men that follow you they don't follow the rules how can you allow this to happen they should have, if they had a real problem they should have went to the disciples and spoke to them they are the ones who are, who are apparently sinning who are apparently breaking this, these rules But they go to Jesus because they want to try and tarnish his reputation, firstly, and secondly, they want to try and catch him out. They want him to get him to say something that they can dispute, something that they want to provoke a response which they they then can rebuke. But, you know, the biggest problem that faced these Pharisees was that the disciples weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't breaking any law given through Moses. If we turn to Leviticus this morning and try to find out any mention of this law, we wouldn't find it. It wasn't a law passed down by God. Well, you may say, "Well, okay, maybe it wasn't a law, Dave," but you got to you got to admit it's a bit minging to start washing without without to start eating without washing your hands. It's a bit rank, particularly if you've been to the marketplace. I mean, those places are filthy. They've probably been picking up chickens and all sorts of stuff. They really should have washed their hands before starting to eat. Well, fair enough, if that's your view. But this ceremonial washing, this had nothing to do with hygiene. This wasn't about cleaning your hands. There wasn't enough water involved to clean your hands in this ceremonial washing that they're talking about. It's the modern-day equivalent of your mum licking her thumb and rubbing your face. You know? It might get the mark off you, but it's not going to do anything for your hygiene. In fact, it's going to be much, much worse for you and your minging face. (laughs) It doesn't do anything. It wasn't going to do anything hygienically for these men. There wasn't enough water for it to benefit them. Now, the issue here was not of breaking God's laws. It wasn't of personal hygiene. But the issue was that they were breaking their laws. The Pharisees' laws, the ones that they had written themselves. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are sort of the two different sects within the the, the Jewish people, they had each written another book on top of God's word called the Halakha. They had one each because they couldn't agree uh, on lots of things. So they came up with their own. And within this book, they had written all sorts of additional commands, all sorts of additional laws, none of which were given by God and none of which would affect your standing before God. In fact, the halakha became so complicated, both did, that it became impossible for the Jewish community to implement them fully, to follow all the rules. Even the priests struggled to keep up. You know what these men had done was that they had placed their own views, their own thoughts and their own laws, and they placed them alongside God's. And they said, our laws and our rules are just as important as God's laws and God's rules. Which brings us back to the original problem that we mentioned. These men have got a serious problem with their heart. Because in their heart, they've got themselves on the throne. They've got themselves on the throne of their heart. They value themselves as much as they valued God. And in verse 6 we see that Jesus won't stand for this. He says, he calls them out saying, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You are exactly who Isaiah was talking about. They honour with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You've got to love Jesus' directness, don't you? We need more directness in the church today, I think. I think we need to have more people calling out hypocrisy. Jesus won't let hypocrisy stand. Praise the Lord that we don't have Pharisees in the church today. And praise the Lord that we don't have hypocrisy in the church today. Good. Some of you laughed. (laughs) You picked up on that, there. Of course, there is still hypocrisy within within the church. There's still hypocrisy within the people that lead the church, that are members of the church. We lead hypocritical lives because we say that we're wanting to do one thing, but actually, quite often we go and we do something, go and do something different. So we do have this hypocrisy within the church. The church is supposed to be a perfect place. Some pl- No, it's not. It's supposed to be some place that's working towards perfection. As Christians, we're supposed to be working towards perfection, but we're not there, and we're never going to be there while we have these bodies, these fo- fallen bodies. One day we'll be perfect, but it's not today. You know, My childhood church was full of hypocrisy. I grew up in the northeast um, of Scotland, and there was all sorts of man-made rules within my church. All sorts of rules that we had to follow. None of these brought us closer to God. We had rules around which version of the Bible we had to use. We had rules around how we should dress when we came to church. We had rules around whether or not we should have a TV. And if we should have a TV, where about in the house it should be? in the end when I left it was okay to have a TV but it had to be in a cupboard with a door that you, could, that you could close over these were the rules that we had in our church and you know these rules probably when they were set they would have been well intentioned they absolutely would have been well intentioned but they're not set by God and they're open to being questioned the rules that these Pharisees had set there was no questioning them they had been written they were the authority you follow them The rules, or the traditions that we have in the church, they should be open to being questioned. That's what healthy churches ensure. That there could be healthy, constructive dialogue about why we do what we do within the church. Why are things done that way? And if we feel that the way that we do things hold us back in our worship and on our mission, then we should be open to talking about changing them. We are blessed far beyond the people that Jesus is speaking to in this chapter. We have so much more. We have our Bible, which we can discern things from and which we can test things with. We have access to God through his son, through prayer. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives within us and comforts us and helps us. And we have a church community that welcomes dialogue. And I know that we have that here. Welcomes the conversation about why we do the things that we do that doesn't have an elitist leadership but welcomes these discussions and the chance to defend the church ways. Church traditions are good. They serve a purpose. But it's the word of God which will stand when heaven and earth have passed away. It's the word of God that needs to stand above all else. That's what Jesus says to these people. He says, you know, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You've lifted your own ways above God's. He goes on to say... That nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And his disciples later they can't reconcile what's being said and they start to question him. And again, Jesus calls the, and speaks to them pretty directly, he calls them dull. In modern day, you're a bunch of dafties. He calls them stupid he says nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them for it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach and then out of the body in saying this Jesus declared all foods clean praise the Lord that little sentence there in, Jesus, in saying this Jesus declared all foods clean that's us getting our bacon rolls there uh, praise the Lord It's coming, bacon's back on the table but Jesus is saying through all of this teaching he's saying that, that contrary to popular belief you are not what you eat. Just what society teaches us, isn't it? You are what you eat. Jesus said you're not what you eat. But what you eat is who you are. He's saying that what you do is not what makes you a sinner. But that being a sinner makes you do what you do. That it's not these external influences that come in and affect the way that we live in our, our lives and the things that we do. But actually, the problem isn't externally. The problem is internally. The problem is within us. And what is within us affects how we do things in the world, how we act, how we speak, how we live our lives, how our communities um, come, come to be. The problem comes from our, our hearts. The problem what's within our hearts. February is such a busy month for us in our family. We've got like three three close family members, birthdays. We've got so much work that happens in February. And you get to the middle of February and you come to Valentine's Day. And me and my wife both usually say, stuff this for a laugh. Uh, we, 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 don't, we don't have time uh, for this. And I don't know how you feel about Valentine's Day. Maybe you love it, which is great, good on you if you do, Um, but you know I always find something very strange about the cards that says, I give you my heart. I'll give you my heart. Let me tell you, I don't have anything worse to give away than my heart. My heart is the most evil, horrible thing that I have. And I'm just partly giving this giving this away. When Jesus talks about the heart in Mark chapter 7 he says from the hearts come evil thoughts sexual immorality, theft murder, adultery, greed malice, deceit have stopped halfway. I'll give you my heart. I don't want it. Look what comes from that. I don't want your heart. Look what comes from it. We are hardwired to do and to think these things. They are written in our hearts and we have been since the fall. It's not God's design. It's not what God wants from our hearts, but it is our reality. Our hearts need work. Our hearts need to be changed. You know, I don't say that to you this morning to bring you discomfort. To bring discomfort into your life, but to bring comfort. I'm well aware that most churches in Scotland wouldn't spend time on these verses, wouldn't talk about the evilness of a heart, because it's not an easy message to hear or to listen to. But I don't bring it to say it to bring you discomfort, I say it to bring comfort. That you would have reassurance that if you turned to me and said, Dave, I'm really struggling. Dave, I'm really struggling with these evil thoughts. Dave, Dave I'm really struggling with the pull of this addiction Dave I'm really struggling with these feelings I'm struggling with my heart that you would know that I would put my hand up and say yeah me too. me too you're not alone that if you were to turn to anyone next to you today to your left or to your right and you were to say the same thing that if they were being truly honest with you they would say I know, I know, you're not alone I struggle with that too that each of us could put our, our hands up and say, I'm a fallen being with a wicked heart. That's how I stand in front of you this morning. I'm a fallen being with a wicked heart. I'm not proud of it, but I know that it's true. And I also know that by acknowledging my weakness, it's the only way that God will make me strong. Only by acknowledging my own weakness... That's the only way that God can make me strong. If I want to be more like Christ, which is the calling of every Christian, which is the calling of everyone, to be more and more like Christ, then I have to deal with my heart. I can't ignore the problem. I probably told the story before about a young man called Antoine Yates um, who grew up in a gang in Harlem in New York. Uh, His brother went to prison when he was like nine years old. He looked up to his brother. His brother went to prison for, for a gun crime. And so he wanted to be protected when his brother went away. So he went out and he thought about how he could best get protection. And he had a look around and he started speaking to his friends. He said, My brother's away, I want something to protect me. And one of his friends came with a little bag and inside this bag there was this little puppy sized animal. But it wasn't a puppy, it was a ti- it was a tiger. It was a Siberian tiger. And he took the bag with the Siberian tiger and he thought, this is amazing. And for the first few weeks, he walked down the street with the tiger on the lead. No one, they looked a bit funny at it, but no one really said much. He took the tiger at home, he put him in his sock drawer. That's where the tiger lived for the first few weeks. He would feed him the spare chicken nuggets that he had uh, left over at dinner time. Then eventually the tiger started to get bigger and moved from the sock drawer to the trouser drawer. After the, tr- the trousers drawer, it had its own little cupboard that it lived in. And before you knew it, that tiger owned the apartment. It had every bit of space. And Antoine's whole life was geared towards getting enough food to stop this tiger from eating him. Everything that he did was about getting money to feed this tiger so that when he came in through the door he had enough to throw into the corner that the tiger would look at the food and not at him. Didn't work every night. Quite a few nights he would get chunks taken out of his arm when he was sleeping or when he was playing uh, with the tiger, and he'd be down to to A and E speaking to the people there. They said, What happened? Said it was a dog, he said, This is a big dog, isn't it? And it's got you. And eventually, it wasn't until the neighbours started to hear these roars coming from the apartment that the police got involved and took the tiger, took the tiger away. You know, we all have a tiger. We all have a tiger in our life. Sin is our tiger. Sin is our tiger. It starts off really small, and I won't lie to you: the reason that we do most sins is because we enjoy it and it feels good and it comes naturally. And it starts off small, but eventually it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It grows and it grows and it grows. And it has to be dealt with or eventually sin will kill us. Sin will kill us. There's a famous uh, theologian, I can't remember who it is at the moment, uh, but said, you have to be busy killing sin or sin will get busy killing you. Our hearts need to be dealt with or they will kill us. And we can't do it alone. We have to be like the mother in Mark chapter 7. The mother who comes to Jesus and says, My problem is beyond my ability. My daughter is consumed by evil and I know that you are the answer. We have to think of our hearts and say, I know my heart is bigger than me. I know that I can't deal with this problem as well. But Jesus, I know that you are the answer. Jesus, I know that you are the one who can make me whole. You are the one who can save me. When we come to Jesus, we need to be like the deaf and the mute man. When we can't even get the proper words out to communicate our desire and our affections to him. When we just mumble something. Because we can't even put it into words. The price that's been paid for us. And the the, the saviour that we need. When we can't even get the words together. And we just mumble something to him. But our hearts are given to him. When we come to him like that. Knowing we're consumed with evil. But wanting to be consumed by good. Knowing that words aren't what's needed. But faith is. Having complete faith and believing that he can save us. When we come to him like that when we come to him in repentance and in faith then we'll go from danger to safety then we go from darkness to light we go from death to life we go from stranger to God to child of God we can't do it on our own we can't deal with this problem of our heart on our own we need Jesus My favourite verse in Mark chapter 7 is verse 37. Where we read that people were overwhelmed with amazement. And they say about Jesus, he has done everything well. That's the difference between Jesus and you. That's the difference between Jesus and me. It's the difference between Jesus and everybody. He has done everything well. (laughs) My prayer is that that each of us this morning that, that sit overwhelmed and amazed by the love of Jesus. That we would all acknowledge that he has done all things well. That his life was more than just done well but it was perfect. That Jesus' heart is different to your heart. Jesus' heart is different to my heart. His heart was perfect. And we needed it to be perfect. We needed his perfect heart. We needed his perfect life because through his perfect life he was able to offer the perfect death. The sacrificial death where he went to the cross having never done anything wrong, having committed no sin, having had a perfect heart. He went to the cross and he paid the price for your heart to be made clean and for my heart to be made clean. Through his perfect heart came his perfect death. Through his perfect death came his perfect resurrection. And because three days later he rose from the dead, we too share in the power of his resurrection. That our sins are forgiven, yes, but that we have new life. Praise the Lord, because if Jesus just just died on the cross and paid the price for my sins, I'd have a big problem because I'd go and sin again the next day. Jesus brings to us through his resurrection a new life. That we can be raised from these bodies. That we can be given new life that will last for eternity. We need his perfect resurrection and we need him. And praise God today that we can have him. There's nothing stopping you from having him. Everything's been done. Your heart won't stop you from having him. Your heart won't stop him from coming in. In Revelation we read, read, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Nothing will stop him from coming. All we have to do is turn the handle and let him in. To come to him in repentance and faith and say, I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to make a change. And I know because of who you are and what you've done, I can have that change. And I give everything to you. I give you my wicked heart. I give you my life, I give you my body, I give you my soul, i give you all that I have because I know that giving it to you is the best place for these things to be. Praise God that today we can have Jesus when we reach out and we ask for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the time that we have in your word this morning. We thank you for the standing that we have before you, Father, when we put our faith and our trust in you. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you don't see our wicked hearts. Father, you don't see the the, the, the evil things that we think and we do. But Father, that you see us as being your children. Father, that you see us as being perfect. Because when you look at us, you see your son. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for our standing before you. And we pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't have that standing before you. Who has never came to you in repentance and faith. Who has never given their life over to Jesus. Who has never um, yeah just taken that step, Father. We pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they recognise that there's no barriers in front of them. That there's nothing that should stop them from taking that step. That there's nothing more that they need to do, Father. That there's nothing that they need to achieve. Father, there's nothing that they could achieve. We thank you, Lord, that your Son has done it all. We pray, Lord, that you would make that clear and to every single one of us, Father. That each and every one of us would be amazed and overwhelmed this morning saying, Jesus has done it everything well Father we pray Lord you would just bless this time that we have together in Jesus name Amen